Are you going to um? You want to? You want to do Wonder Woman Melt this song? Sure. Yeah. Oh, hello there. Welcome to Pivotal. <laughs> I am Tom Nolan, and I'm Mario Ponzio, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year when you hear this, yeah. It's 2021, and you guys are all $600 richer pretty soon. Congratulations. Yay. We got 600 bucks. Well, we actually have, some of our listeners aren't in, in America. So. Good work, Donald Trump. You guys, you, guys, you guys are richer by not being Americans. Yeah. And when, when your petulant baby of a current president just was like, I don't want to sign it. And then enough people were just like, oh, you stupid jerk. You're going to get $600. He's like, fine, I'll sign it. The day after unemployment benefits run out, so people don't get unemployment for a we week. We just want them to know. I could do it. <laughs> happy um, New Year. Happy New Year. Um, I'm currently not in the Pivotal Film Tower yeah, in the New Year. But I am in the Pivotal Film Tower now because it is legitimately a week before we release this. This is the earliest I think we've recorded without having done like a dual episode without like a, without specifically trying to pocket one yeah for, for later use yeah. um yeah i mean i just have a lot of stuff going on in my existence so it's just i want to get this stuff out of the way big yeah. dick tom over here <laughs> no, swinging just, it around it's just, just homework just big pendulum homework. big homework pendulum, pendulum cock over here oh very good very good um I don't know. Was there any news? Uh, can we predict news from this week? Um, MGM sold to Apple. Oh, that's pretty big news. That that's why I just predicting. It's going to happen. I think I, I'm <laughs> resting my hat on that happening. Apple's um, trying to talk them down to like three billion. Ah, uh, four point five billion. Like, come on, come on, buddy. <laughs> Come Apple on, realizes buddy. Apple realizes they don't have much negotiating space. <laughs> we don't need this. You you need this more than we do. But Apple does. Uh, I was talking to a friend today whose parents. Uh, I was talking to Megan today whose parents asked her like, "Oh, do you think they have Apple Music?" And they're like, "Oh, is it worth the three dollars a month extra to have Apple TV?" And Megan was asking me, and I was like, "No, no, it, it isn't. It is." It's not. It's not worth $3 a month. Unless you, well, yeah, you're paying $3 then, a month to watch four movies in Charlie Brown. But I guess they have it for free until like February. And I said, I told her they could watch everything on Apple TV by February. Way, well, probably, well before yeah, February. Probably by yesterday. The problem with Apple TV too is that like you go on it and you're like, oh, they have this movie. And then you're just like, no, no, they don't. And you can't purchase it on Apple TV either. Or rent it. You can't do anything. You can just watch On the Rocks over and over and over again. Exactly. Um, Not so the case with our two movies that we're reviewing this week. They're both on services that are just chock full of stuff. Stuff to watch um, all the time. But Katie Kalako hit shows. Okay. You know what's so funny about that the the whole flight attendant conversation is that people that made, t- that made varieties like top moments of the year. People don't even sound like they like it. They're just like it's fun. I don't have anything else to do. I watched it passes like the time. Ten minutes, fairly drunk one night, and then I got bored with it, and then yeah. I watched something else. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. I'm never gonna watch that. But I did watch something else. We both did, and perhaps it fits into that. Fine, it's here, so I'll watch it. Uh, category, and it is uh, the sequel to uh, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot's 
2017 film Wonder Woman, and it's called Wonder Woman 84 or 1984. I've never been one for rules. The answer is always more. Forgot to tell you. What? Radar. Will they will they shoot at us? Barbara, what did you do? I'm not so keen on this one, I figure uh, you are, but you know what, I'm ready to go. I think we can do better. Parachute pants? Yeah, um... Does, it, does everybody parachute now? Um, yeah, so for some reason it's 1984 and uh, Wonder Woman lives in Washington, D.C. and she is an anthropologist or an archaeologist working at the Smithsonian. Um, and just wishing that Chris Pine was alive still. Yeah, spending for sixty years, sixty-five years, just pining after that. <sighs> uh and there's a woman named Barbara Minerva, played by Kristen Wiig, who's just she, she's got big glasses. That's no good. Uh, there's also this guy named Max Lord, who is an oil tycoon slash self-help guru who apparently listening to podcasts and reading is like stylized after donald trump and everyone's convinced that this is fairly obvious and it's just like no this guy just sucks is like, he supposed to be no that's what they said i don't know no i don't i don't see that at all um there's a there's a stone there's a rock in it called the dream stone and um my Some, favorite Jefferson Starship song. Apparently this rock is originally when the movie opens, the rock is in the back room of a mall jewelry store. <laughs> and then uh, when the, when the, when the rob robbery gets busted up by Wonder Woman, who is slumming it hard, um, busting up robberies in malls uh, with just too much lassoing and, and floating around uh, that to make any sense. Uh, the Dreamstone ends up at the Smith in the hands of the FBI, who gives it to the Smithsonian to find out what the hell it is. Uh, it is apparently a stone in which, if you hold it and wish for something, that wish will come true. Um, Barbara wishes to be more like uh, Diana Prince. Uh, Diana wishes that Steve were back, and Max Lord wishes that he were the Dreamstone itself, and so people can wish on him. And because part of the Dreamstone's, you know, functioning is that like whatever it will give you what you want, but it's gonna take something from you. Uh, he gets his like, he takes uh, security details and and oil leases and I don't know, just general power. Um, eventually, Minerva's uh, lust for attractiveness and self confidence. Uh, leads her to become a super villain 
who is never mentioned as a cheetah, although she does says she does say she wants to be an Apex Predator. Um, she looks so like a cheetah. She looks like an alien. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she looks like Warner sure. Brothers DC budget cheetah. I'm not sure why she would be happy with like the results of that. Um, she's not getting any dates looking like that. Um, uh, there's a solid furry community probably in 1984. There's a human sneaking around. And he keeps telling me to shush. Um, and, and yeah, that's the general plot of Wonder Woman 1988. Um, 84. 84. 80, yeah, 84. Oh, and it's the 80s. So everyone's dressed up like the 80s. Did I mention that? Except for, except for Diana Prince, whose all her clothes would be perfectly fine in, in 2020. Walking around Manhattan. This movie looked like its version of 1984 looked like some weird amalgamation of Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall. Oh, and, the, um, but this movie would be so much better oh if God, it was. What's the that? other movie I was thinking of? Oh, and, and Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> like the, the character and like set design. Yeah, reminded me of yeah. Super Mario Brothers and Total Recall. Just kind of blended together. Um, With like this really bad pastel paint thrown on it, and a, and um, a budget for some reason that was humongous, but they couldn't afford actual eighty songs, so they just kind of did like some riffs on some some eighty yeah. songs. Um, this movie is terrible. Um, I, I suppose in an inoffensive way, it's it's not like the worst movie I've ever seen. It just is bad, and. Uh, and it, the script is one of the worst scripts I've I've ever encountered. I ever I kind of, you think ever? Oh, it's just terrible. It doesn't even make any sense. And then the dialogue is all the it's all just cliche stuff. And most of the time, like there's very little Wonder Woman in this film. Um, Diana Prince for some reason speaks in these weird vagaries all the time, where she's like, "It's something, maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I don't know what I want. I just want you." Blah blah blah. Oh, the world is collapsing around me. No, I just want a couple more minutes with my with my guy here, who's not even my guy. It's just another guy who I've just who I know instinctually is Chris Pine. Um, yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah, I don't have as, as strong of feelings about it. My problem with this is it just ultimately feels incredibly flaccid and heartless, and I think that's best told, which I said off air, when like one of the more climactic kind of emotional scenes after you know Diana renounces her wish to have Steve and so Steve's gone forever um you know she she flies into the sky and Hans Zimmer has a moment to like do something with the score there however boring or trait that may be and instead he just uses John Murphy's Indago in D minor which is a great piece but one of your like most important emotional scenes uses a another film score it speaks volumes about how much heart and soul is being put into this and that's the problem with it is it feels like everything's going through the motions and it feels like an utterly insignificant film i don't think it's terrible i just find it very flaccid i think like midnight skies a really 
terrible movie. I, I think Midnight Sky is worse than this. See, but I, I feel think... like my time was wasted with this. I just oh, kind of felt, felt like, like my time was wasted. I feel like both of my my time was wasted watching both movies. I think the problem with Midnight Sky for or the way the reason I like Midnight Sky even like a little better is a because it's forty minutes shorter, huh? Yeah. And two, like, yeah, this it's the same thing. The script is bad. Like the I guess the effects are okay. It's just not like I don't find the the effects okay. But they're better than they're better than they are in Wonder Woman. Times oh a, oh sorry times sorry a million. I, thought, I thought you were talking about the effects in like no no I'm just comparing Midnight Sky to Wonder Woman yeah, like Midnight Sky is better and then Midnight Sky is just like a dumb George Clooney movie that he took really seriously and that like I'm not obligated to take really seriously Wonder Woman is like a a franchise tentpole it's supposed to be a cultural event cultural event movies can't seem like episodes of Power Rangers. And well, to that end, and I think, and I think, so you have you referenced your like the the best example of like kind of how flaccid this movie is is that the you know the score thing. My example of how kind of listless and pointless and flaccid this movie is is be, when Diana's, you know, she's fighting Cheetah in one scene in the White House, and then and you know when Max is has stepped into the rays of this satellite's feed or whatever and he people are all doing all these wishes and he's getting all this power and in both scenes Wonder Woman is sitting down she's just slouched over against a wall just pontificating about truth and fairness and I was like well, this is supposed to be a superhero action movie why is she just sitting there I mean, they just, they have no, they have no answers to anything in this movie. They're just like, look at, isn't it cool when we fly through fireworks? Yeah, that's super cool. But in any scene that means anything, nobody's doing anything. Yeah. It's just a lot of sitting around. Well, and that's, that's ultimately also the failing too. I mean, I find it a unique turn to have a villain who ultimately isn't that purposeful. I like that. I kind of like a villain who's just like, has such a mediocre goal in the end. And once it doesn't fulfill it and he realizes like in the most ham-fisted way that he's wrong, he just goes, yep, you're right. Well, my favorite <laughs> part about kinda, that- He just yeah. kind of like walks off. My and favorite part about that ending I, is I, that- I kind of like that, but at the same Wait, time, it's just I, like, you watch that and go like, oh, this was 150 minutes. I think like if this was like 100 minutes, I might've appreciated it a lot more. <laughs> But. So I would. So I want to two things. Uh, one thing I want to say. My favorite part about the ending was that like they keep showing all these things going in reverse, like things just kind of you know the wall that you know uh, uh, erupted in the ground in Egypt goes back down. Missiles go backwards. You know all this stuff happens in reverse. But when Max Lord meets his son just randomly in a field someplace, um, there's just debris everywhere. And I was just like, why does debris go someplace? The debris, is this field always strewn with debris? Or would the debris come from someplace and it just didn't get to go in reverse like everything else? Why, nobody, why? Wished, nobody unwished for that debris. Nobody unwished for the debris, I guess, to go back. I, I, I don't Do you think anybody wished for a real-looking Ronald Reagan? Yeah, that guy was weird. I think it was really I, strange. No, you're very broken up. 
Oh shit. Oh, there you go. You're back. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it felt like it felt like it was like Bruce Campbell and not Rob Reagan. <laughs> just like his chin. His chin was just like could open a fucking like can of beans. That guy looked terrified the whole time. And I just love how like all that I, I love how all that uh those that presentation's just sitting there. And then Max Lord's like, what's this perfect thing that I need to, you know, enact my plan, which I'm just making up off the top of my head. And you happen to mention touching, so that makes this work. I want to push, I'm going to push back a little bit on your, your not being, not saying this movie is terrible. You don't seem like you, the idea that like you kind of like that Max Lord is a shitty villain is weird. I just like it. But, I'm so tired of like. But do you think they did that on purpose? You know that they didn't do that on purpose. No, no, right? I don't. They didn't set I, out no. to say like, well, let's just make the stupid. <laughs> Let's make a villain from a 1950s fantasy movie. It's just all about wishes. Like, I'm surprised there wasn't a genie in here. Why didn't he turn into a genie at the end of the thing? Well, I, I think I, I mentioned to you, like, as I was texting about it, the thing is, this feels like is, is it, it feels as stakeless as a Joel Schumacher Batman movie. And, and maybe even more so like an Adam West-style Batman, where it just, it, it feels it's very cow. episodic. But, I don't know, maybe I, I'm just so bored and tired of like high stakes superhero shit that like at this like having a villain who just like didn't know what the fuck he was doing and was just kind of like stumbling through it and then once he got caught was just like okay i lost i kind of like that there was something i it was unintentional i'm sure it's it's not the intention of the film but it somehow accidentally worked for me because i was like oh this is this is like a mistake of a movie but like this mistake actually kind of worked for me but and it, like pablo pascal who just every time he kind of does a performance kind of seems like he just kind of doesn't want to be there for me like i like pablo pascal but he always kind of seems like he rolled out of bed well it doesn't <laughs> seem like he has but i don't know if that's his fault in this i guess every performance maybe um but I think Which it doesn't this, to underscore it, but like no, I think it does. He, he just, he's a perfect guy to play somebody who feels like he doesn't know what he's doing. But I think he probably doesn't know what he's doing because the writers didn't know what he was doing either. So he, they were just like, "Oh, what's you know a thing that this guy could do?" I don't I mean it's uh, one of the things that I kind of I've always appreciated, I, I guess, about the Marvel Cinematic Universe as opposed to the DC Cinematic Universe is that they're pulling. The Marvel stuff comes from, and I guess maybe Star Wars too a little bit, is that th- that stuff comes from somewhere. So there's like this foundational, uh, there's foundational things in place to kind of direct where the narrative is going to go. I don't, I haven't gotten the sense from just reading about this that the Max Lord stuff was from the comic books or that this is how Cheetah was created or anything i mean i don't know but it's no just, everything seems so made up and then it actually it just seems like it just seems like really really bad writing and then to the point where like the opening sequence um where diana prince as a as a young girl is competing in some kind of some kind of race which is good i'm glad like that Catholic, i guess i guess i'm i'm confused um by the filmmakers or what um, friction is like in Themyscira and 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 in physics because that little slide that Diana goes down was not pitched at an angle or you know she's wearing regular pants and that's a concrete 
All clothing wow. is all clothing she's, is oiled. I can't. Like notice? she's not moving very fast down that stupid slide. But that, I guess that stuff doesn't matter. What bugs me is that like Robin Wright stops her from throwing the spear. Is like no fairness. The end. And truth. And this is how the world works. Is this is the perfect analogy for fairness and truth it's like that's stupid that's just really stupid um and lazy and just not which I, not which original is, or clever or humorous, anything humorously enough i find like I, I i know a lot of people say like that opening scene is like the best part of the film i think it's the worst like that i could cut that entire opening scene i think that opening like sequence is fucking garbage like i, I think the rest of the film is not great i feel it's bad and kind of like lazy but I think that opening scene is so utterly pointless and teaches like this. It's for one thing, not interesting to watch. I'm bored the entire time. That race yeah, is yeah, too yeah. long. It looks like shit. The music's not interesting. I don't care about this kid. Like this little girl is not that good of an actress to be doing anything. Mm-hmm. No offense, little kid, but you know, you can grow into it. Um, oh yeah. Where's Brooklyn Prince? Yeah. I uh, and yeah, and, and just like everyone looks so bored in that, and it all is for the purpose of a lesson that really doesn't mean anything overall in the film. Like, I know it comes back to it in the end, but like, you don't really need that. No. Um, like, I think you could cut that entire scene, and this becomes actually slightly, for me, actually significantly, significantly a better movie doesn't say like it becomes a good movie but it becomes much less of a bad movie. I think then it becomes like this really <clears throat> hammy, enjoyable film and not a bad movie. What I think they... it's a bad movie. Be cut out that like 15 minute of garbage and just keep yourself in the 80s. And I think I enjoy this movie a lot more. Well, I think Chris Pine trying to kind of wrap his head around fanny packs is kind of the best part of this movie. And, it, and which if that's the movie you want to make, if you want to take, if you want to do some kind of like uh, genre surgery and 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 fashion this these superhero tropes and a romantic comedy together and and do that then do that you know what i mean and, you should and totally, be happy about it and like, be happy about it you should totally do it. i would love to see that movie but the thing i think, I think this movie this movie is so hammy and if it just leaned into its hamminess yeah. it's much more enjoyable and if 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 that opening scene though to me really well, it's sets the, the tone that it is not at all and, and think, all the stuff in egypt sets the tone that no like you cut out the egypt stuff you cut out the opening scene and i think this movie's is fun that mall scene is the dumbest shit in the world but it's so goofy it's It's so ridiculous that this guy's like i'm not gonna go back to prison so i'm going to murder a child it's so every every other villain every like bad guy goes like what the fuck are you doing it's so silly that it works for me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So that stuff works, but they kept, they, I, I think it's so weird that they just kind of gerrymandered this like end of the world, you know, storyline into it that like the only place in, like, I just think it's so odd that the place that it went to is like Russia and US launched nukes at each other. Mm-mm. Well, I can see, I would have been, I, I kind of took that as like, I was okay with it in the sense of Max is such a bumbling villain and he's portrayed kind of like a bumbling villain in a way that like it kind of accidentally falls into that happening because he's kind of like going one by one and that's just kind of like 
unintentioned consequence of it all. I was okay with that. Like it being a big thing because of the fact that like his intention was never to do that. His intention was just like do something else, but it just kind of like fell into that happening. But that's, was, a, but that's is, I mean, I'm, I don't like the idea of the stakes and whatnot, but it's just right. But my it was thing fine. is fine. If is he, if he's meant to be an idiot, then like make him an idiot. But I don't think he's necessarily, while he is an idiot, I don't think they meant for him to be perceived as a total fucking moron. No, I don't think he's an idiot. I think he's just more naive. If if you walk into the White House and you're just like, I want all the power, what is this, blah, 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 like, inevitably, you know, someone's going to be like, oh, you know, it would be good nukes. Like that one guy that's in a bunker in, like, the Middle East somewhere is like, I want nuclear weapons. And he's going to get them and he's going to fire them. Like, what if that guy who just was like, I'm not going back on my wish. I want these nuclear weapons. Never mind now. Like, what is that? You know, how do, like, how does he not know that, like, this is where it's going to get to? And I guess he's so <laughs> blinded by power. But, like, it's not like he uses his power for anything. He's just like, I got a lot of power. Cool. One of the dumbest, cool dumbest but funniest references I saw is, like, all these people watching him on TV and nobody wished he would just go away. Yeah. Well, that's why didn't why didn't, <laughs> Diana, why didn't Diana Prince just, like, grab onto him at some point and being like, I wish you were dead. And then, she, and then he'd be like, oh, you figured it out. My he's like, I wish I, was, I wish I was not dead. Oh, man, it just went back and forth. I would have loved that movie, like a Waiting for Godot type, like, they're just kind of keep like Listen, undoing if somebody each other's makes a, wishes. If somebody makes a superhero waiting for Godot, and it's Wonder Woman, and it's in the DC universe, but still in like a desert, sure, or like just on a road, it's just Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter just <laughs> waiting for I don't know Brainiac to come. Yeah, I'm for that. I'm just, I'm super for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just. I think my other problem is that I don't know how you feel about this. I'm not a DC guy. Like, I, I have a Batman movie oh, on the Pivotal film list, but I don't count it as, like, DC Batman stuff. I don't um, give a shit about any of this. Like, yeah, I, I mean, enjoy individual stuff. Like, I like Spider-Man stuff. I like the Batman stuff. I'll yeah. like a, a superhero movie that's fun. I'll like a superhero movie that's fun. But, like, I don't fucking care. It's all bullshit. It just, I guess it's all bullshit. I, and I agree with you. I think I just, it's one of those things where, like, if you grew up reading comic books, I suppose you grew up like reading one brand or another. And like, I always grew up reading Marvel. So I have like, not like a connection to it, but like a deeper kind of understanding of like what this, you know, that's, is there something going on in the background? No. I'm hearing like uh, beeping in your background. There's no beeping. You didn't hear that? No. There. If it's in your mind, it's right. No, it's right there. You're not hearing this. Like, just listen. Right there. No. Okay. Um, but that's something on my end. Um, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I never grew up like listening to any one particular, like reading one particular thing. I didn't grow up reading comic books at all. I read some Marvel, like some Batman stuff, but I was never into the us versus them mindset of any of this pop culture stuff. You read comic strips. Hagar the Horrible. 
Well, no, I remember like, no, like, I don't know. This is a weird, interesting thing I'm finding out like in, in pop culture fandom of us versus them. Um, and it's, it's happening to a small degree like today with like wrestling because uh, a guy, you know, Brody Lee who just died. Yeah, he said. Like went yeah. from WWE. He was like kind of misused in WWE. Uh, went to AEW. was getting used pretty well. Then he died of his lung infection. And like some idiots are now trying to use it as like a fuck WWE for saying anything because they misused him for years. And like, you know, AEW. And then some WWE people are like, well, it's still the second league. And it's just like, no, this shit matters. Like, no, 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 like pop, like and like and and I'm like speaking on the volume of just a person's death, but like Marvel versus DC or whatever versus whatever, Xbox versus PlayStation, AEW versus WWE, and it's pop culture fandom. Just like fucking, they're all billion dollar corporations that don't give a shit about you, and just uh, <laughs> yeah, just enjoy what you're gonna enjoy and move the fuck on. Um, Except for yeah. Republican versus Democrat. That doesn't matter. If you're a Republican, go uh, fucking kill yourself. Well, I think it's whatever sparks interest. You know, whatever sparks your interest, that's where don't, you go. Don't kill yourself. Just think Just think better. Just, just look at yourself in the mirror for a while. And ask what you want and, and, and what you need as a person. And then, uh, you know, you make a decision based off of that. And you're like, oh, yeah, all these things that they're trying to do are good. Yeah. I like all these things. Um, but, yeah, so... Like I said, whatever whatever sparks your interest, whatever kind of whatever gets you gets you going. Yeah, you know, so, and sometimes that's like the it's like an innate thing. It's like deep down on the inside, it's it feels like you're born with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like it feels like it feels like it came from someplace from the before and just like right down there. Yep. And maybe that's your spark. Maybe. Maybe that's deep within. You're Peter Doctor's soul. <laughs> what the? What is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe. I teach middle school band. Cut it, go for it. Today started out as the best day of my life. Back here tonight, first show's at 7. Yes! Woohoo! You know what that's gonna say? Joe Gardner! <laughs> I did it! I got the gig! Must have been sudden for you. Wow! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Help! I'm not done! Oh my, oh my goodness! Ever since being introduced to jazz as a young kid from his father, Joe Gardner's been trying to make his inroads in the jazz music, but he's found himself being a middle school music teacher, finally offered a full-time job, but feeling really unfulfilled in that position. Uh, His mother urges him, though, to take on this job. You know, it comes with a pension. It comes with health insurance. uh, It comes with, you know, security. Um, And then he hears of an opening that night at a gig with Dorothea Williams, this, this legend of jazz by Curly, his old student. Uh, and Joe Gardner does a little rehearsal, and um, Dorothea says he can come back and have the gig, and you know, maybe it's gonna be Joe Gardner's big break. And in his excitement, he roams around New York City and falls down a manhole where he dies. 
Um, he finds himself on a, you know, scale, grand scale, leading up to the uh, to the great beyond, the afterlife. And uh, he's like, no fuck away, am I going to die? So he fights his way off of the great beyond and ends up in the great before where all the unborn souls are learning their kind of places in life. They're kind of given little traits by which they're going to go and gather on to get their earth badge before they uh, jump down to earth to live their lives. Um, Joe's found and has signed to be a mentor uh, to kind of wayward souls who have not really kind of found their way exactly to the earth badge. And he's assigned the 22s been unborn for thousands of years and it's been assigned a bunch of a uh, bunch of mentors in the past like uh, Abraham Lincoln and Amelia Earhart and Carl Young, Carl Young, who all these people who uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, all these people who um, have tried, but have ultimately failed to convince her about the excitement in life. Um, Joe pretends to be this great Nobel prize laureate. We don't really know what happens to that guy where he's, where he is. Yeah. I'm curious. Interesting to find out where he is. Uh, And, 22 eventually finds out his ruse. Uh, so they go to try to, you know, go to a ethereal trance to get Joe back into his body. Um, but unfortunately, the spell is kind of misdone and Joe and 22 fall into Earth where 22 enters Joe's body and Joe enters uh, a cat's body. Uh, Mr. Can't remember the, Mr. Muddles or whatever. Like oh, I don't know. I can't remember the cat's name. Oh, where'd my thing go? I have it. Um, Mr. Pickles? Mr. Mr. Mittens? Mr. Mittens. Mr. Mittens, the therapy cat's buddy. Uh, they go around New York City for the day trying to, you know, set up Joe for the experience and the ability to get his gig because, uh, you know, he, he kind of screws it up when he runs into uh dorothea wearing his down and looking a bit erratic and insane because 22 is in his body and she gives it to somebody else uh so he gets a nice suit on he gets a good new haircut um and prepares himself to you know re-enter his body and to have this great gig because he can finally find purpose in his life uh meanwhile 22 is experiencing life for the first time she can you know in the great before you can't taste anything or smell anything or really essentially touch anything and she's getting this real taste and touch of life herself, but she still doesn't know exactly where spark our purpose is. She just appreciates life for what it is. Um, meanwhile, they're being chased by Terry, who's just the accountant of the afterlife, uh, who realizes that Joel tried to run away. Uh, they're eventually caught. They're brought back to the great people. Okay. Did you see that? I didn't. Look, it was Linus. He just came in. Oh. Sneak attack. <laughs> uh, they're, they're brought back to the great before slash the great beyond. Uh, and they found out 22 has her earth badge. and But she's now upset because Joe's kind of yelled at her and said, like, she doesn't really have a purpose. They're just the qualities of life. And so she gives it up. And uh, Joe kind of gets to reenter his life. And he comes back and he plays the gig and he thinks it's going to make a difference, but it doesn't feel different just life is the same as it always was um and so he enters that same sort of ethereal trance that uh astral plane um 
and meets up with 22 has become a lost soul, which is these wayward souls that are mostly hedge fund managers and everyone else. <laughs> um, and he convinces 22 that he was wrong, that, you know, just, and it finds out that he accepts himself that, you know, like finding your spark or the personality or thing you're put on life isn't necessarily what it is. It's just, is a thing and that living life and that being a fulfilled person and appreciating every day is what's important. And in the end, 22 goes back down to earth to, to live her life somewhere in India. Uh, and Joe is given a second chance at life and decides to live life every day to his fullest, not looking necessarily for his true purpose, but just to appreciate each day that he's given. Um, for me, this is probably convincingly the best Pixar film. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, in the way that it's not consistently tonally the same. It, it's this this is this is how I'm gonna say it. It never reaches those emotional highs that kind of the best Pixar films does. It never reaches those intense set pieces that my favorite Pixar films does. But it's so steadfast in its purpose that I have a respect for it. It never tries to have these really manipulative moments of emotion for me. It never tries to scale away from what it's setting out to say. Uh, It just sticks to its guns and does so in such a solidly convincing way, but against a background of um, what has to be, for me, visually the best Pixar film. I, I think from an artistic standpoint, it's visually the best looking Pixar movie. Just from the, the Terry stuff, like Terry, like his interactions with the world or her interactions with the world just are great. Um, and it is the most consistently mature and steady film of, of their, their catalog. It, it doesn't, it's never, it, it doesn't appeal in any way whatsoever to children. This is, in no way for me a family movie. I don't even see how a child could enjoy this. My kids both liked it. I don't, I, I just don't I don't see what is And they understood like, it perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think <clears throat> I think that's I think if there's like I think if 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 a child or, or anybody has a maturity to understand it, uh that, that's there, but I, I don't see any of the plays to kids' humor in it much at all. Um, but no, I just, I found it to be thematically consistent. Uh, I don't, like I said, it's never going to, it's not going to be the ones to like have the gut punches of other Pixar movies. And it's not going to have the like visually impressive pieces of other Pixar films, but I think it's, it's the most solid Pixar movie. And, And Pete Doctor said something about how he made this after feeling unfulfilled from inside out. And the success of Inside Out, and that to me makes a lot of sense because I think Inside Out is a film that has like great emotional heights, um, but ultimately has a lot. Those emotional heights are constructed with a sense of manipulation, and are also filled with moments that are so emotionally hollow, or manipulative, or vapid in their existence. And this film 
doesn't have that. It has moments of just kind of like stillness. Like stillness or kind of like blandness, as it were, where it just kind of is like lingering and kind of existing to move the plot along. But it never loses track of its thematic purpose. And I guess it's just... I Does that make it the best Pixar movie, though? Yeah, because I think Pixar movies are incredibly inconsistent. I like Incredibles because I think it's the most visually impressive and, and the best superhero creation. Um, and Ratatouille is... I don't know. Maybe it just Ratatouille didn't appeal to me as much emotionally. I think Ratatouille is probably their best created film in terms of a story and everything. For me, this is just like... Is tonally this most solid Pixar film in terms of adhering to this emotional affect that Pixar always tries to do? It feels um, like Pixar has always been trying to do this, do what they're doing here, and this is the first time where they like don't fuck around with that to like go for heights. They just like go like, "This is what we gotta do. We're gonna stick with it and stay with it." And well, here's the course. I'm gonna I'll, and I'll push. I guess the if we were titling this episode, we call it "Tom Pushes Back on Mario." Um, and Mario pushes back as well. And Mario takes it. Um, yeah. Mario likes it deep. Um, he likes deep thought. Um, Mario and the prostate. The big, big thoughts. Um, prostate massage, the episode. I don't know if being totally consistent makes something the best of something. And I think if you hadn't said that it was the best Pixar movie, I would not even care um but i'm curious to know how like tonal consistency makes and i'll and i'll and i'll give my kind of opinion based kind of off of that um and say I'm, I'm just curious to know how tonal consistency makes something like the best of a fairly lauded like thing because i think i'm not even sure that this is the most ton- i don't necessarily agree that this is the most tonally consistent pixar movie i actually think it's probably one of their I think it's of their upper tier films is probably one of the weird, the least tonally consistent. Are you frozen? No, no, I, I'm, I just, I, I, I well, so my, so when I texted, also, you, I'll go, I'll go. So, so my, I, I texted you before and I was like, Oh, there's all these, there's these dead spots. And I, I, I really think of them as dead spots. And I think one of the problems with, I think one of the problems with comparing this to something like Inside Out is Inside Out is I think in a little ways uh, emotionally manipulative, but I think it's it's new world that it's creating around the emotions, which is the human the human parts. You know what I mean? So Inside Out and this function on the same level. There's a human realm and there's a you know uh, inside the human realm, and one of them is packed with emotion, and then in this movie, and then in the other one is not packed with emotion necessarily which is like where the souls reside and the great before i think the interesting thing about inside out was that it was you had emotion on the human level and you had a, you had lit- very literally emotions on the non-human level and i think part of joy's problem um which was like a little bit part of the movie's problem is that she kept trying to just twist shit into everything being like the most simple version of the emotion and i think it's a very I thought it was a very human ending in the sense that you can't have real joy without real sadness. Um, and it's something that I think is not like our ever really articulated in films. The idea that there's like both there's like, especially with for kids is that there, there's two sides to every 
not just two sides to every coin, which is like the cliched version, but there's two sides to every experience. There is, you know, the, the actual literal experience that you are having. And then there's all the subtext underneath it about what that represents and like what it felt like and what it could mean, what it means looking back on it versus like what it meant um, in the moment. And I don't think that there's any of that's, and, and I think the, the, the genius, if you want to put it there of inside out is that they were able to merge the rules of the universe that they were creating, which is not a world that we know, you know, we understand what San Francisco is, if whether or not you've been to San Francisco, San Francisco is a real place. They weren't doing anything different with San Francisco. So the world that they were creating was the world inside of somebody. They were able to merge the rules of that world with the emotions of the outside world. My, I think the failing as such as it is, and I'm not sure I necessarily call it a failing because I liked soul. Um, of soul is that they aren't able to merge the emotion of the outside world with the um, with they weren't able to merge those two things emotionally so when you're in the inside world when you're in the like the realm of the great before with all the souls um, most of that stuff is just rules like it's not even really narratively or emotionally there's no emotion present it's just like here are a bunch of rules and here are a bunch of people that are going to describe the places that we are um and so there's no like a real emotional work getting done and i suppose it's joe's kind of supposed to be our conduit to that he's supposed to be our kind of like avatar for emotion but in those scenes joe isn't actually doing anything 22 voiced by tina fey is doing all the work and she's just kind of describing things as it happens so the two most potent moments in this movie for me are the two moments when joe um goes into the zone and it's not like when they're actually in the zone when he's a soul it's when he's a person and he's playing you know that first time he plays for um what's her name deborah dorothea dorothea yeah well the first time he plays for dorothea and then later after he you know after he's gone through all the stuff and he's kind of come back to life and he's sitting in his apartment he has all this stuff that um, 22 collected when she was in his body and he kind of looks at it and he plays that great, um, very Trent Reznor piano piece. Um, and he kind of goes back into the zone and those as a, I mean, I can relate to that stuff on a number of levels, but that from a, just like a pure emotional standpoint, that was where the real emotion was. And I thought I got kind of bummed out at the end of the movie where it kind of turned into like what most Pixar movies turn into, which is like a chase through, you know, whatever world that, you know, someone is inhabiting at at, at any given moment. Um, It just, the balance, the balance wasn't right. The balance between emotion and like logistics. um, I don't think they squared those enough um, to, to the point where I think it rises above like Ratatouille or Inside Out or, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else you want to put there. The good dinosaur, obviously. You know, this is number three on, on any any person's Pixar oh, Pixar um, movies list. I guess the thing I appreciated about this was its 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 willingness to just not have answers. Like, there's, I feel like as though Inside Out or something like Up or something to the like the movies I, I love um or really appreciate are you know like Ratatouille feels different because it feels a bit less 
intense of 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 an emotional affect like it's 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 hewing it's not going so big in no, what there's to no say. massive revelation yeah yeah it's, it's it's trying to be something that's very much a human experience it's not trying to make these more kind of metaphysical comments that some of pixar's like big ambitious projects like up or inside out or soul are trying to make um and and my issue with, with those films, as much as I like them, is like there there's this real sense of dichotomy, a real sense of of clearly delineated lines to kind of reach some sort of conclusion. This is messy, and I like I like that. This this has a real but that's messy. I, but that's no, not necessarily no, true because it does reach a conclusion. It reaches it, the conclusion that like, and I think the conclusion in and of itself is dishonest in the sense that no one ever said anything about purpose. Just all of a sudden, Joe is talking about purpose and no one's ever corrected him being like, well, no, it's not about purpose. He just interpreted what he was seeing as purpose and just started saying purpose, purpose, purpose. And so he misconstrued the kind of point of everything. And I, that felt like kind of manipulative to me as well. And I think the closest... I yeah, think that's yeah, yeah. like I think that's just like a human interpreting it. No, because they, but that's my point is that they don't ever go. They don't let Joe have an emotional. Um, there's no emotional resonance when Joe is just a soul. So when Joe is just a soul, he's just an observer. He's not feeling anything. And I suppose that's true of all souls. But like Pixar has never gone to the point where it's like we need to get the emotional physics of this like perfectly sound. And that's See, why I think the most. I, th- I think the most like. Uh, apt comparison to this is something like up which i hate but like up has these real feelings in it you know real i'm going to put it in quotes because i think i think they're manipulative as well but then like there's all these other things that happen that have nothing to do with anything and it's just like computer generated garbage where like here's one world and here's another world and they're just gonna like butt up against each other and like the video game aspects of the end of the movie have nothing to do with the emotional aspects of the of um the beginning of the movie. This is a much more refined, um, delicate, subtle version of that, but it I feel like it operates on the same level, even if Pete Doctor wants you to believe that it doesn't. But I think I think the thing that works for me is that Joe is 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 so imperfect in the sense that everything's kind of told through his filter, and he remains throughout the entire film this kind of really selfish ish to a to a degree selfish character, uh, self-absorbed character in the sense of he can have moments of uh, an epiphanies of others, but like ultimately everything's kind of told through the filter of self and filter and filter of himself. Like there's no revelation that seems to rise outside of that. He's always just focused on his own world, his own life. And that second where he can kind of come close to seeing 22's perspective is still told through this filter of how he feels it, how he felt with it. Like he only can understand 22 through his own music, through his own kind of like filter by which he sees the world. And so he's able to kind of explain it to her in that way um, or to them in that way. Uh, but he's, he's a character who never rises out of himself, and which I like. He just, he's always telling it through the filter of just Joe Gardner, the dude who just wants to be a jazz musician. But I would argue that that is in the same, in a lot of, in a similar way to kind of how we talked about Wonder Woman 1984 is that I'm not 100% sure that's in the text. So I think it's, I think that's 
that's that's true of the way that the movie got made but i think it's interesting that like so we're just can we're just concerned the movie's just concerned with joe's spark and everybody that exists in the movie is there to kind of illustrate some aspect of of joe's spark but i would wonder my question would be like what's and i don't care about the 22 spark i'm curious about like what's joe's mother's spark I'm curious to know what Curly's spark is, which I guess was playing, was playing band, playing in 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 his band was in in Joe's having taking Joe's class when he was in middle school, but the movie also posits that it's not the thing that you think you're meant to do that is the spark. There, the spark is kind of separate from that idea, and the thing that matters is like what makes you feel like you want to live. So this, it's kind of taken this broader context of like you have the six squares on your, on your little, your little pass thing there, and it's basically you fill in six squares and then you feel like pizza crusts make you want to be alive, and like the, the main goal is to want to stay alive, which I think is really interesting. But I'd be curious to just know what all the what everybody else's, what everybody else's spark is, and is it the same? It's it can't be the same thing for everybody. So why is, wait, why is that necessary to do in this film? It's not, it's not necessary to do, but I also don't think that they're looking at it so specific. I, I don't think they're looking at it specifically in the way that kind of you're suggesting that they're looking at it. I don't think Joe's meant to be a myopic character. I think he's just written myopically. But when is, when is the film ever really outside of his purview? I think the film's so subjectively told from his point of but view. But this is, but this is the myopticness of it is 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 the point. But I think this is where Inside Out was a better movie because it suggests a non myopia, where this movie is, if it's told in the manner that you're telling it, that makes Joe some kind of that makes Joe some kind of selfish person. But I think no, the movie no, suggests that, that he's him a, not selfish. How does it make him selfish? Because he only cares about himself. He only cares about his own experience. No, he he cares about others, but he cares about others through the lens of himself. But does which he? I think ca- is, but does he care about others through the lens of himself, or does the film show us him only caring about others through the lens of himself? No, so I, think, I, I think I think he, a, I think he I think he gains empath, empathy. Did like he he's, not he's, have he's, empathy though? No, no. So he has empathy before, but I think he's able to kind of have a. He's so okay. So when we we get this in, he's presented. You know, the film's told in a day. He's having you know a bad day at work. He kind of gets. He has this kind of like break. This kind of what you could say is a midlife ish crisis of realizing that, or whatever it could be, that like he has an opportunity to be comfortable for the rest of his life, being a middle school band teacher. And so that like, but it comes with the idea of giving up all of his dreams. And, you know, it, it involves, yeah, the comp- like, like the, the inciting incident there is the fact that, like, he is giving up a, a sense of identity, a sense of self for comfort, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Which isn't true, so, but, like, fun. No, it's not. But, like, that's <laughs> obviously the intent. The intent is to set that off. And then he's sort of given this kind of, like, slight glimpse of hope of, of retaining that identity. So it's... I think it, it, all that inciting action suggests that, yeah, during this day, 
this guy would be so much focused on just himself that maybe he would lose sight of things. And then what the, the thing that could like knock some sense into him might come through seeing something through his own lens. And, that's, I, and I, it's not to suggest he's like a, a bad, an evil character or a selfish character. He's just a character going through a really tough day even before he dies that like, oh, it, it takes some sense of like, self-reflection in of itself of, of seeing the pieces of 22 and then reflecting that through his own music that like makes him kind of regain a bit of humanity. And that's kind of ultimately what this movie is also saying in a lot of ways too, of just like it, it's small little pieces of just like interconnectedness with one another. Um, you know, when the, the barber's talking about how he had said to be a veterinarian, but ultimately he could just kind of like make everyone's hair look great and just have all these touches with everybody else's life or his mom, you know, having had the most concern for him, but also having set out to kind of like make this suit and tailor this suit for him um, mm-hmm. just in case. And, and, ev- and like the sense of like community in the sense, I, I, I think, I think there's like this, this real intense self of like, yeah, everyone does have a care for one another, but it's, it's definitely through like the view of what they do themselves. But this is where, so in just to go on, I think the that level of that type of shift in character seems representative to me of a of a narrative conceit more than something that's honestly earned, because I think one of the things that's interesting is that they show Joe going into the zone, you know, the first time he plays for Dorothea, and then he shows Joe going back into the zone after he's apparently learned something, so he's not prevented from tapping into like these more primal intrinsic elements of himself, which suggests that like the shift in character is not like is, is more minor than it's more due to the fact of the day more than something that would be uh, life all not life altering is the wrong word the more existential i don't think joe is having these deeper existential questions i think he was having more domestic questions and then the film pushed him to have existential questions and then they ended up being domestic again and again his mom didn't tailor that suit for him she tailored it for him there when he was there it wasn't like she was just waiting for him to 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 try it on which is not this so all this is just not to say that i dislike the film i just felt i found it very I, I thought it, it seemed like more of an experiment, and which I don't think Pixar can really make experiments. They're too expensive. It takes too long. It takes you know too many people, too much money. Um, but I think it's I think it's the least well conceived of the great, or the least well developed, or the least fully developed of the great Pixar movies. And I think I'd put it in that first tier. And we our tiers would our first tiers would look different. Um, I think I'd put it in that the bottom of that first tier of, of Pixar. Film. Wait, what would be your top five Pixar overall? Well, Ratatouille would be one. Um, Inside Out would probably be on there. I don't, I don't have these ranked. This would be on there. Um, I have, I have my, t- I wrote my top five to Jordan. So my, my top five was Bugs Life, Inside would, Out, Ratatouille, Up, Incredibles. Yeah. I mean, it would be Incredibles 2 might be on my list. Uh, I eventually kind I'm of looking like at them. Maybe I Toy Story yeah. three. 
I eventually defined it by I hate I really hate the Cars films. Oh, Wally. And the Toy Story and the Toy Story films. Yeah. So I mean, I'd have, I'd have Ratatouille. I'd have Inside Out. I'd have Wally. I'd have probably The Incredibles. Oh, Coco, and then this. I mean, and then, Incredib- honest, and then Incredibles two after and, and number six. When it comes to the Pixar movies, I, I talked about this. I like Wally. I like Nemo. I love Monsters Inc. And then my top five. Every other Pixar movie, I don't give a shit about. Me too. I hate, I hate the Toy Story movies. I hate the Cars movies. I don't give a fuck about Incredibles two. I don't like Monsters University. I hate Coco. I don't hate Coco. I'm indifferent to Coco. Brave, Onward, Finding Dory. No, those are great. I mean, Onward we talked about. I don't think's a good movie. Um, I don't know. This 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 works for me. It just there's something about this movie where if I remove the entire kind of like ethereal element of it, like the entire like him yeah, dying get rid of it. and get rid of it and I'm him dying and him having that. a soul and him like you know the soul thing, it still works. Oh, it, but it works like it works better. I mean, I would it the does, whole time but, I was watching this, I was like, if you just get rid of this these stupid green blobs like floating around on the screen, like I'm a much happier person. Just a dude walking around New York, just having an existential like midlife. Yeah, crisis and about. playing and playing piano and having conversations. That's I mean, part of me thinks that Pixar does this shit as a crutch that Pixar throws us into these like um, these non realities or these kind of sub realities as a, as a crutch from having to do the thing that like everybody just wants them to do, which is just to stay with these emotions and stay with these feelings. And they just like, won't let themselves do it because it might be too intense or whatever. Okay. A kid won't watch a kid won't watch a movie, about a middle-aged African-American guy like playing piano. When in reality, if you do it right, a kid would totally watch that. But don't you think like, all the stuff involving the soul and whatnot, like all that is is pretty tertiary to to the to the story overall. Like him has like this blob is barely anything in this movie. Except for the like, fact that it's half of the movie. He, I don't know, feel like half the movie to me. Oh, like it sure a is. Third. Well, because he's it's, he's a cat for longer than he's. But that, a... I'm counting that as part of the, like okay. the you yeah, know that's thing. Fair. But that's the thing. I why can't Joe have? Why can't Joe spend ten minutes in some kind of pseudo realm, like pre death realm, and then like he come out of it with like some kind of weirdo question or something, and then him have those conversations with you know his with his barber or with dorothea or whatever like why can't or his mother like why can't that happen and i you think can't, the, you can't have a pg-13 pixar movie and that's what you'd end up with it wouldn't even have to change anything but for some reason that'd probably be a pg-13 because just too many black people now we're now we're writing for inside <laughs> insider, or insider yeah um yeah i just i think it's i think it's there's no if if it's if it's not if it's going to be that tertiary then take it then take it out um that's why i don't think it is tertiary i think it's kind of the whole thing but is it the, like, like i think I they know, think like, that i think they think that it is because it's and that so... it explains something intrinsic to the film and i think it probably does it's like a powerpoint presentation where there's like animated you know bubbles just kind of flying in from the left or whatever um 
But I guess but I, I guess don't think it's necessary. The only, thing, the only thing I can take from that is saying like aspects of soul or our nature or whatnot are ultimately a nothing thing. Like that's the only story I can get from that is the fact that, you know, it has that sort of good place style or um, I can't never remember the book I read that I always want to reference in this podcast, but I always forget the name of it because it's forgettable. Um, but like the entire afterlife or pre-life stuff is just like so. A lovely bones. No, it's not lovely bones. It's, <laughs> it's something. It's something that was. I'll look up the book at some point. Um, so clinical and so bureaucratic, you know that that it ultimately doesn't matter. And I, I don't think any of that. I think all of that serves as a kind of a crutch for this film. Obviously, yeah. um, I think it's kind of like the the two line byline that they do to get the fucking Bob Eager money. Um, like, cause you, like, you know, Peter Doctor could be like, I want to make a movie about a jazz musician going through a midlife crisis. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I have $150 million. I bet he could do it. I, I, I agree. I, I don't see any reason been, why he couldn't have done it. That would have been a better movie. That would have been a better movie. Like get rid of all the extra shit. I would have liked, I would have loved this movie a lot more. Um, but I feel as though with that like kind of like sell of something else that this works the best for me because I, I don't think it ever tries to do those moments that that like the music swells or anything or anything kind of goes big and goes like this is our emotional moment. Like it doesn't try to do that. It just stays consistent with what it's doing. Yeah, I don't disagree. It doesn't have that. that opening 10 minutes of up. It doesn't have that page turn it doesn't have the you know i just want to go back to milwaukee or whatever scene from inside out it doesn't do any of that it just is well so i would argue that it doesn't have the highs but it has the depth though it has it has these moments of real depth and then every time it turns into you know every time it goes back into the other world or terry shows up or whatever it betrays those moments of death those moments of depth for a kind of easy humor or an easy narrative complication, or something else. And sure, I, but I don't feel I don't feel emotionally manipulated in this. Well, I don't feel I maybe I don't feel emotionally manipulated. I just feel narratively manipulated, and and it's I get I get to see that it's just trying to do something that it doesn't need, or that the film doesn't necessarily want to do, but it's gonna do it. Because it's got Disney attached to it, and there are children involved. Well, I think I think those are going to ultimately be the constraints of any Pixar film. I, I think I think a, a Pixar movie or any sort of animated film is never going to be able, to, or of this budget, is never going to be able to escape that. Um, because, like, even you know, going back to something on a smaller budget, like Wolfwalkers, last week is in the sense of it's always going to be hamstrung by this kind of like set out procedures by which to do things. And I feel as though this is the film that, yeah, of course it has these moments of like dumb humor. Although some of the jokes really work for me. Like that entire, like I'm a manipulative megalomaniac who's intensely opportunistic. Like I laugh my ass off at that. Or like when Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln loses his mind about Andrew Jackson being on the $20 bill, like stuff like that. I thought all of those stuff like that was, yeah, I thought those were like humorous, but not like, I didn't think they're like, you know, they're... break down the walls funny, but like, um, but the thing is, is like, yeah, I, I don't, and this is my problem. Like, this is why I think animated films overall are fucking garbage, 
is the fact that like they're always going to have this expectation of doing this of doing something like this they're not going to be allowed to just exist as their own thing um it's just kind of like they're like waltz with best year can't be made every day of the week you know it, it can't just be animated for the sake of presenting it in a cheaper way presenting real life circumstances in a cheaper way um because there's always going to be expectation of this the thing i appreciate about soul is the fact that like it doesn't try to veer away from its emotional intent with that sort of manipulation that came from previous pixar movies it might just portray like its narrative intent for humor or for going back to its sort of conceit it's kind of like frame conceit of, of the soul aspect of it but it thematically stays consistent throughout its runtime that's why i that's why i love it is the fact that like it just stays the lane yeah and i think it, it abandons its emotional impact to do nonsense to have tina fey say anything or um you know any one of the people that are drawn like a public picasso people person say anything richard Aoudi. i'm glad to see him back though yeah, yeah i liked him better when he was you know a droid in the mandalorian um but yeah i mean it's 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 or an it crowd yeah it's fine uh i just it it you know when it wasn't being emotional it was being nothing when it wasn't hitting his when it wasn't hitting it's it's you know really excellent emotional beats it wasn't doing anything it's definitely the most divisive of the pivotal films movies of the year that's fun like our difference of opinion I, well, I mean it's not it's not like a it's, a, it's not like a it's not top five opinion. it's not a top it's not a top five movie of the year for me obviously but no and um, it's gonna i mean it'll still be like in my it'll still be on my i think what are we doing three animated movies because we just you know whatever well but i mean like, like it's it's definitely it's definitely probably my front runner for that but no it's not i mean this movie is not wolf it is it is not in my top 10 of the year like what, so yeah but neither is any of the animated films from this year. Because the animated films are just stupid anyway. Says the man with a lot of animated films on his list. <laughs> because I watched animated films when I was younger. <laughs> and the pivotal film list doesn't represent best movies. <laughs> oh, no, but you clearly have an affection for animated films. I do. They just they don't stick. They don't stick. Just like my wife. I don't know what that means. Oh yeah! <laughs> I hope someone listens to this and is like, "What's happening?" <laughs> if you're if you want to talk about if you want to talk about sticking, <laughs> you could do so at Film Pivotal, or you can uh, email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail dot com, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and you can see a list of the movies on our pivotal film list, or which beers that we drank like four months ago, uh, or how to subscribe. Next week, we're going to be doing some smaller movies, some indie films. Um, well, maybe not indies. I actually know what do you call like an Amazon movie now? Is it still an indie? I mean, it depends on or is it like a like, streaming so. movie. I don't know, it's hard. Uh, sub 20 million dollar movie. 
I guess it's. I think the combined budget of all of, our, of the movies we'll review next week will be less than half of Soul. And most of it was spent on alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> on one specific movie. All right. We will see everybody, uh, you know, next week for that. Uh, watch movies, drink beers, and we will talk.